everyone. After the ban, after the Ibn Majid, I understand why you did not trust the Federation, why you might not have trusted me. But I have a ship, and there is room for all of you. I will see to your safety. And when you are safe, I will become an advocate on your behalf. I will speak to the Federation with your voice. I will demand that they end the ban. And the Federation will listen to me. What is this? The Vintage Picard Podcast. It's um, discussion, analysis, debate about Star Trek Picard. All right, good. It's really quite exciting, actually. Very good, fine, I'll listen. Engage. Hello, Picard people, and welcome to, well, let's call it episode 10 of Vintage Picard, a podcast covering Star Trek Picard and Star Trek at large. And I would like to introduce my own personal Seth to you, because that's what we do here. Identify yourself. I am one Gary McComiskey, and my co-host on this journey... Hello, I'm James Ajazi. How you doing, pal? I'm doing all right, considering. How about yourself? I'm not bad. And just as a reminder, James and myself are a couple of guys. Two guys, in fact, two being a couple. Obviously. We are two guys who take Star Trek seriously. Ourselves, not so much. Certainly not. So, that's the kind of you know, tone, I guess. Tone would be the word that you can expect here on Vintage Picard. And, uh, oh, it has been a week, hasn't it, James? <laughs> yes, it has. It's felt longer, but yes, it's been a week. Well, it hasn't technically been a week since we've recorded this thing. It did feel like a week that it took me to edit the last podcast. I, I have to tell you, listener, I hope you enjoyed it. I don't say this to to pat myself on the back or puff myself up. I say this only because it is the truth. When I finally told James that last week's episode was up, I also told him that I think that one broke me. This is not our affair. So <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed it. <laughs> but uh, that's that's not important. The, the work that I put into it is irrelevant. Agreed. The enjoyment that you get out of it is what's important. And... Uh, I, I, I guess I guess at least somebody is enjoying it because we got some feedback from one Rochester resident, which presumably is somebody who is a resident of Rochester. But I, I don't have any more identifying information than that. But uh, somebody with the handle of Rochester resident on Facebook messaged us on our Facebook page about the mystery of the Spanish lullaby that Rios sang uh, right before Soji uh, seemingly turned control of the ship back over to him. And what Rochester resident, Double R, pointed out was that it wasn't a kill switch for Soji. It was a kill switch for the Van Halen. Mm -hmm. It was actually must have been something that Rios himself had pre-programmed into the ship, which is why as soon as he finished singing and was able to drop the force field, he said to Soji, my mother didn't like people touching her stuff either. So it it all comes together. It, it all makes sense in that context. So thank you, Rochester resident. I am 
immensely gratified. You have enlightened not just James and myself, but potentially our entire listener base, or at least the ones who were, uh, you know, as oblivious as James and I, and not quite so smart and uh, quite so observant as yourself. So thank you sincerely. And listener, if you have feedback, you can do like Rochester resident Dunn did, and you can reach out to us and let us know what you noticed on our Facebook page or Instagram or Twitter. We are at Vintage Picard on all of those places, or you can always email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. And then they would have our gratitude. But uh, one one other thing that I want to get out of the way here, well, get out of the way seems like I'm just being dismissive, and that's not the case. It's just something that I want to address here at the top of the podcast before we jump into the meat of this week's episode. That is, namely, the, uh, the noose that I have discovered from the Star Trek pantheon that, that has been announced this week in the intervening days. And so... I guess this originally comes courtesy of the Star Trek website, although I discovered it courtesy of trekmovie.com, so they get the credit there. And there are two announcements about things that are coming out in June, Star Trek media that are coming out in June. The first is that the Short Treks series, which we talked about in a little more detail in our kind of episode one preview special, Uh, so if you aren't familiar with that particular series, Go back and listen to episode one of this podcast and and you can maybe get caught up that way. That's sound advice at any time. But the gist of it is Short Tracks is a bunch of short, seemingly self-contained stories from the Star Trek universe that ultimately seem to play into the larger Star Trek series in some way that is not immediately evident. So that first season, or I guess first and second season of Short Treks is being released on DVD and Blu-ray in June. So if you, for some reason, want it, love it, and want to own it, or you don't have access to CBS All Access where you can stream them and you want to watch them, then you can, you can get them on disc media in June. The one thing of note, however, is that the Children of Mars episode, which functioned as a precursor to the Star Trek Picard series, that will not be included in the collection, even though that's the the last episode of, of the most recent season of Short Trek. So it I guess the speculation is that that will be included as part of like a Star Trek Picard disc set eventually. So, you know, I guess that makes sense, but it's a little bit surprising as an omission, considering it is part of the series. The other thing that we learned about June, I guess now is the time when you make announcements for June, a couple months out, three months out, is that, James, I I guess there are a couple of IDW comic book series that Star Trek has going right now, and they are coming out with additions to the series in June. One is, I guess, the ongoing series, which is Star Trek Year 5, and I assume that that covers the Trek of the original crew, I would assume. I I, am not personally familiar with that, but given that uh, the cover art that they released has Vote Mud on it, I, you know, being a Harry Mud reference, I have to assume that that is uh, something, something to do with that. And the other cover that they released is the third installment and the final installment in the Deep Space Nine Too Long a Sacrifice series. 
And the reason why I thought you particularly would be interested in, in this, James, is because the cover art for this third installment, this final issue, features a skulking Garrick seemingly eavesdropping on Odo and Worf and some other dude in a room talking about something. <laughs> and it's the, the, the font of Deep Space Nine is very yeah. like... That was Garrick leaving with the information about the comic book. Uh, sorry about that. That was inadvertent. Uh, we we haven't ended the show. I promise. I just pressed a button by mistake. Um, the, oh my goodness. Come on. Get it together, Mac. Pull yourself together. Okay. At least ask for clearance first. Thank you. Um, right. Yeah. See, you're going to warp within a solar system? Um, Do you okay. know any Spanish lullabies to get this podcast back in order? Yeah, right? I don't. I should ask my wife. She grew up with... Not important. This must stop. It has gone too far. So, um, the font for this comic book is like your your 50s horror movie, like, it came from outer space type. That uh, that kind of almost wavy horror font that, that they use for those kind of movies. So... That seems interesting. So, you know, go out if you are a fan of Star Trek comics and a fan of continuing the canon of series that are no longer in production. Then, you know, if you you want to stay with those characters a little longer, maybe go and check out those series. So that's that's coming in June. But for now, we have more immediate concerns because we just just today, as we record, we just got the ninth and penultimate episode of Star Trek Picard. And specifically, that was season one, episode nine, Et in Arcadia Ego, part one. Or maybe maybe I should try that in the Picard voice. Et in Arcadia Ego, part one. So, uh, now... <laughs> I did some Googling and it seems I, I do not understand Latin. I did not grow up as uh, somebody who learned Latin, unfortunately, but my Googling has my, my Google foo, as they call it, has produced the very, very loose translation of not so much a direct translation because I did get one of those, but the kind of understood meaning of this. This is a quote from something, and it more or less means that uh, even in paradise, I still am confronted with the reality of death, something, something along those lines. Again, I'm trying to translate the meaning and not the actual quote. So it's, it's basically along those lines. You know, even, even in paradise... I am given to understand that I will die. Most profound. So we pick up pretty much where we left off the last episode, and that is with the SS Van Halen flying through a transwarp conduit, the Borg transwarp conduit that we saw them enter at the end of the last episode. And they are experiencing some rough seas, as they say. Dr. Agnes Gerardi is hiding under a table, begging for the journey to be over. And then we, we kind of move to the bridge and Rios is receiving a report that the chronoton field is at 90% and holding. So I guess they did put up a chronoton field to protect the ship, even though 
Soji kind of indicated like a meh when, <laughs> when questioned about it. So I guess that's just smart. Although I do have to ask, how is it that they are able to just generate a chronoton field? I mean, that in, in previous iterations of Trek, that has been something that they have had to tech tech techno babble up and and had some trouble with. And apparently the Van Halen just comes with a chronoton field standard. So, I mean, I know it's been 20 years since the last like mainstream Star Trek series in the canon, but even still, that doesn't seem like something that they would just have. Again, maybe we could just blame it on poor writing or uh, not enough budget. Possibly. Either way, it worked. I mean, James, correct me if I'm wrong, but chronoton fields are the technology wherein in many Star Trek stories where time travel is involved, that's what winds up getting them through time. That's correct. They are encased in chronotons somehow. So, you know, unless time travel has somehow become commonplace, which doesn't seem to be the case, it just doesn't seem like something that they would be able to whip up. I, I know I'm being especially pedantic, especially early in the analysis. Concur. But I, I just, I don't get it. But... You know, they don't dwell on it, so I guess we shouldn't either. Correct. And they're here. So they 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 pop out of the tunnel at Capalius, and they discover almost immediately that they had a tail. Narek was able to follow them through, as we knew, but I guess Narek was also able to just whip up a chronoton field out of nowhere in his little miracle scout ship that's that's teeny tiny but capable of just about everything. She's a fine ship. I'm impressed at his deductive skills, too. That was pretty uh, pretty cool how he just determined where they'd be and was waiting for them. By They, they quickly approached that as well, or... Uh, um, suggested that in a, in a quick little dialogue that he just um, knew their course and figured out their position. Yeah, he extrapolated their course is, is the way they put it. Now, I take a little bit of issue with that. I'm, we have a long way to go, so I'm not going to get bogged down in the weeds on this one too much. You see, I'm just not convinced that you are telling the truth. But it just, it strains credulity to think that he would have been able to do that because... You know, they lost him, fine, and then they went somewhere, fine. I can get that he could guess where they were headed, maybe Deep Space 12 or whatever, based on... But they made several abrupt course changes over the course of the last episode, including, and not limited to, when Soji just hijacked the ship and took them to the transwarp conduit. Now, if you're going to tell me that Narek you know, was able to pick up their trail before they started making those abrupt course changes and just followed them cloaked, even though they were able to pick him up before, but whatever. I, I, I guess I can get behind that, but it's really a stretch. What I would have liked to have seen, and again, maybe a limited budget or whatever the case is, that uh, I would have liked to have seen a callback to the original series episode, The uh, Balance of Terror, that one of my all-time favorite Star Trek episodes of all time, uh, all venues of, of Star Trek. That is the episode that introduced the Romulans first, isn't exactly it? Exactly right, yes. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole thing. It was the, the first time you see the bird of prey and the cloaking and all that. And the cat and mouse chase between Kirk and, and the Romulan uh, captain, who turned out, the same actor turned out to be Spock's father. But I would have liked to have seen that at least some sort of a little shadow play, because I thought that whole episode was brilliant, the balance of terror. But OK, fine. They have to skip to and cut to the chase and 
So there is Narek, and uh, again, I'm impressed by his deductive skills. Thank you. So Narek, however he follows them, he follows them, and he uh, when they get on the other side of this conduit, he comes out and he immediately starts shooting. He starts firing on them instantly. You know, I guess they found the planet. There's no more need for pretense. And okay, fine. So he starts shooting. They immediately engage in a dogfight. And, you know, he's he's got a powerful little ship. And they take some fire. They give some fire back. Yes, and I also love, and I'm sorry, but it was very Dukes of Hazard-like too. I like the tactics that the uh, USS Van Halen used where it stopped and let Narek overshoot them, the snakehead, and then took fire on that ship. Put out a hazard advisor to Starfleet. And that it seemed like that they had the upper advantage and, and crippled Narek. And uh, I also thought that was quite interesting between uh, Soji and Admiral Picard. Soji was kill, 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 like take no prisoners. And Picard, of course, the good man that he is, says, no, we, we don't just let crippled people slowly die. You know, let's take them on board. And then the next thing you know, there's Narek, the actual Narek ship, snakehead shooting on the USS Van Halen again. So that was a nice little twist. I, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, I guess somebody's a fan of the Dukes of Hazard. I, I personally wasn't expecting, but I guess I should have been when Rios leaned on the horn and you heard <laughs> an electric guitar. That was, you know, surprising to me. I don't recall. But yeah, I, you know, I, I prefer to be surprised. I, I want to come full circle with this show because they have the Van Halen, they have Star Trek. I got to get the Dukes in there somehow. And if they just tie it all in with baseball, then I'm I'm finished. I'm through. But anyway. Well, we have one more episode <laughs> after this one. We'll see. Oh, boy. Uh, hopefully. We'll see that, what we can do. That uh, Captain God Cisco shows up. But um, anyway, uh, I also like that fact that the, which I hope I'm not stepping on your toes here, uh, Gary, where the seatbelts came out of nowhere on the uh, USS Van Halen as they were engaged in battling with Narek. Yeah, so there was a deleted scene in Star Trek Nemesis that was cute. And I, I, I almost, I understand why they got rid of it from a story beat standpoint, but at the end of Nemesis, in this deleted scene, after the climactic battle and everything has been finished and the Enterprise is being refit, I, I guess, back at the shipyard... Once, you know, it, it's 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 being fixed after all this heavy damage, a new command chair is installed on the bridge and some random commander or whatever is, uh, I guess he's going to be the new first officer, is kind of talking about the upgrades to the ship. And so essentially Picard comes out on the bridge and he's like, oh, uh, you know, they've installed the new chair and Picard sits down and he presses a button and seatbelts shoot at like restraints shoot out and a seatbelt system kind of secures him in the chair. And Picard is like about time. <laughs> so, you know, I understand why they cut it, but it, it was a it was a cute scene. So that is what that reminded me of, because it was exactly the same type of thing. They, you know, I. I what did Rios call for restraints? Is that no, or did he just press a button? Yes, I don't remember exactly how that evolved. It happened very quickly. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I didn't notice that either. I just thought that it was like an instinct of the the ship where um, they experienced some turbulence, and and then the incorrect. I don't know if he pressed the button or not. I didn't notice that. So, listener, if you did catch that, please let us know. And no, that's not necessary. Go on. 
related. One thing that I have noticed that's been very subtle, and I like that it's subtle and they don't call it out specifically, but has been consistent for almost every time we've seen it during the show. When Rios wants to initiate the holographic control system in the command chair, he does a low snap with his right hand and then it pops up and he's able to manipulate the controls. So it's it's a nice little subtle touch that they haven't, like I said, they haven't called it out. It's just been something that he does and something that seems to work and is cool. So I want to commend them for that. It's a model of simplicity. But yeah, James, getting back to the story, the unfolding of the story, as you were kind of indicating, Narek does play cat and mouse with them a little bit. And he shows a new ability that I didn't know that these ships had. But again, his magic scout ship. So... As you said, Narek seemed crippled. His ship seemed crippled and he seemed injured, which they, as as you were discussing, Picard and Soji had a back and forth about whether they should try and save Narek's life or just let him die. In fact, that was a trick because Narek's magic scout ship can not only cloak itself, but it can reverse its cloak by projecting an image, which is what this was. It was a false image that he projected. And I guess he's also able to project false life signs onto this image, <laughs> sensor readings, uh, which was able to trick them into presumably dropping their shields for a beam, although they don't actually spell that out. And then Narek comes up behind and starts shooting at them again. And it seems like he may have them dead to rights. And just at that moment... One of my predictions is, well, it's not outright disproven. Let's say it's accelerated. Explain. Because we see coming to the rescue, the Borg cube comes through and starts, uh, you know, guns blazing or, or disruptors. Bo well, Borg had like a cutting beam, right? Yeah. We don't actually get to see them engage in much battle because almost immediately, as soon as the Borg cube arrives, we see five of these giant flower things rising up from the planet and they start eating ships, basically. <laughs> yes. These giant orchids. And the crew asks Soji, hey, what, what are these things? And she's like, we just call them orchids. That's what they are, obviously. <laughs> okay, fine. And they swallow the SS Van Halen and... Again, one of the things that I had kind of went to great lengths to discuss at the end of last episode in the coming attractions was the dire image of wreckage falling through the atmosphere. And I had said, oh, don't worry. We're meant to think it's the Van Halen, but it's not. It's one of these flowers. We were both right. <laughs> it was the Van Halen enveloped by one of these flowers. So the flower eats the Van Halen, all the power gets cut and they start descending rapidly through the atmosphere in a seeming free fall. And they like four of them or three of them, I guess the math it would have to be if there was five, three of them grab the Borg cube and drag that down. And even though we don't see it, Narek's ship also gets dragged down. So they swallow the Van Halen, they kill the power, they pull it down through the atmosphere to the planet and we don't see them crash land, really, because there's some kind of baboom and it looks like kind of like an EMP, actually, how that's generally depicted. And Picard gets knocked out or sort of he winds up in kind of a, I don't know, like a not catatonic because he speaks, but he's he's clearly out of it. He starts kind of mumbling uh, something about 
gathering everyone together and everybody knows there's something wrong. He has some kind of mental episode is what we're led to believe. And so uh, he we we have mental episode to credit. Yeah, I guess likening it to talking in your sleep. In case you were wondering, James, this episode was directed by Akiva Goldsman, who's one of the executive producers on this show. Ah, okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. So on the other side of the credits, we wind up in the sick bay of the Van Halen, where Dr. Girardi is ministering to Picard. I don't know if she actually revives him with something or if he just kind of wakes up, but he's laying there and she's kind of hunched over him, which now that I think about it is maybe a callback to the previous episode where she came out of her coma and he was hovering over her. Although she is much gentler and kinder to him than he was to her under the circumstances. But that did give me a chill too, because I was hoping, oh no, I, I didn't even think about that scene. I thought about when she murdered um, Maddox. So I'm oh, thinking, yeah, oh no, no, this can't happen. Last person I want to see when I'm waking up is, is uh, Gerardi. If you're wondering why it was Gerardi that was over him and not the universe's most useless EMH, it's because power is still completely offline. We found out that Rios was able to crack a window and that's why they have some light, but nothing, nothing on the ship is online whatsoever. She was able to find an old tricorder somewhere that she was able to scan him with and, and kind of check his life readings or whatever with. So that was nice. Because usually it's just, you know, computer scans and, and fancy future tech. So this is, I guess, well, it's still fancy future tech. Yes, it certainly is. But slightly less fancy, slightly less futury tech. <laughs> I didn't recognize the model. It kind of seemed like uh, maybe some midway point between the tricorders in the original series and the ones that we saw in Next Generation in terms of size. I don't know if you had a, a more keen insight on that, James. No, I, um, yeah, I thought that it was more next generation, but that would be a good guess to make it look like that it was really old, a, a gap between the original series and the next generation. Yeah, it seemed a little bigger and a little wider than the medical tricorders that they used on next gen, but, you know, it's, who knows, really, it's, <laughs> we're talking about technology in a fictional universe, so... Really, I guess you could peg it anywhere on that timeline and maybe be right. It's not important. So anyway, he has a discussion with Gerardi about, no, your, your tricorder is not giving you faulty readings. In fact, I do have a serious brain injury. And so she seems kind of devastated because for some reason now she loves Picard, I guess, because everybody does. That's correct. I mean, it's... Star Trek Picard, it's not, you know, I, I get it. I mean, as a fan, I, I certainly get it. As somebody who's watched his exploits for 30 years, I, I definitely get it. But uh, as a person who's, I don't know. I don't know if it tracks with her character, but that that's, I'll, I'll give it to them. Why not? Yeah, real quick. I think that's another uh, writing flaw too, where now that she did something so despicable, they're trying to make it look like she was completely helpless and not working under her own power, especially the fact that she actually loved Maddox and, and all that. So now they're trying to really make her redeem herself, I suppose. Well, we'll get there. I have thoughts on that a little later in the episode. But yeah, I, I could see that for now. So 
Picard walks out onto the bridge where everybody else is just kind of sitting around and he gives them the plan of action. We have to, you know, figure out what's going on with Soji and her people. And oh, by the way, I also have this terminal brain defect and, you know, there's nothing anybody can do about it. So don't treat me like a dying man, even though I am. That'll be all. Which, you know, is a heck of a thing to just drop in people's laps while you walk away. Uh-huh. Captain's prerogative. Admiral. <laughs> but, I mean, okay, I guess that's how he rolls. So they kind of learn through a little bit of exposition that Capellius Station is a nearby settlement where I guess people generally live on the planet. And Soji kind of drops, oh, I was born there, although I don't think I spent very much time there. And in fact, uh, they try to probe Soji for a little more information. And she's like, oh, my memories are all jumbled. I don't have the information to give you. Except when they aren't, seemingly. Because she knows things. She just, when, you know, it, it's, it's better for the plot, she doesn't. It's, I don't know. How convenient. I guess it's a narrative device. Yeah. We do get an incomplete picture. They discuss how the Romulan fleet is maybe a day behind them. So, you know, I guess that's that setup that we're meant to remember. And they they go outside and they determine that the Borg cube is crashed but good. It's it's it you know, it's much larger. The flowers weren't meant to handle something like that. So, even though the Van Halen is kind of crashed on the planet, it still seems to be more or less intact. The Borg cube, maybe we're given to understand, is a bit less intact. Even though it looks okay to me, when they when we finally see the exterior shot of the artifact, it looks fine to me, just like partially submerged. But according to the dialogue, it's in pretty bad shape. Budget. <laughs> Well, and that takes care of the practical. I guess, I guess. Like I was saying last week, the art department doesn't get script approval. Right. Well, it's true. So they talk about how, oh, you know, a crash like that, you know, we, we can't expect anyone to have survived. So we don't know if Elnor and Hugh are going to, you know, still be alive when we get there. But they, they do go to check it out and they get there and all the XBs are fine. They're just walking around. And Elnor is there, and he's so happy to see Picard, and Picard's so happy to see him, and it's a it's a great re- great reunion. And then we get the hero shot of Seven of Nine kicking bodies off a ledge as a, a very subtle orchestration of the Voyager theme plays behind her. Thrilling. That was absolutely thrilling. Which I mean was a, a nice moment. I really. I do feel bad that we haven't gotten very much of Seven this season. Not nearly as much as maybe we would have liked. I speak only for myself. (laughs) But, you know, the moments that she has had on screen have by and large been great. But I just feel like hopefully next season we'll get more of her. I'd like that very much. So Picard sees some XBs like rigging something up, getting something back online. And he's like, hey, what are they doing? And she's like, oh, they're using a battery pack to get the replicators back online. Why? Do you need something? He's like, long range sensors, please. Let's get those things online. Can we do that? And she's like, yeah, we can do that. Which is great because that's what they use to determine exactly how far out the Romulans are, which is, as they suspected, about a day. And there's 218 warbirds coming. Now, this I have to take 
slight issue with. I don't know why they called this class of ship warbirds, because as I've mentioned before on this podcast, these ships look a lot more like Klingon birds of prey than they do Romulan warbirds. I mean, when you think of a warbird, you think of the Dideradex class, giant green, you know, big bird looking things that dwarfed the Enterprise back in, in the next generation. And, and you know, we also saw them on DS9. And I don't understand why they decided to call a ship that has such a radically different design the same thing. You know, if it's a different class of Warbird, you know, I, I can get behind that if it's a, a slightly or, you know, even a not even a slightly different if it's like the Klingon battle cruisers, you know, let's, let's use that. You've got the old, what D sevens or the old gray ones. And that kind of evolved into the Vorcha class cruisers in the next generation. And, and again, DS nine and, you know, they're both battle cruisers, but they're also the same basic shape, even though the Vorchas look a lot more, you know, a lot beefier, they're still more or less the same shape. You can see how that, class of ship could have evolved from one thing to the other the romulan warbirds it's not like these are much smaller and much more streamlined and have a different like wing configuration i i don't i don't get it i know how i'm being here yes you should i get it but i don't understand why they decided to call it the same thing that's all you finished i also don't understand oh for god's sake why if they had battery packs that they could get the replicators online and the sensors online. Why not use those battery packs to get online whatever technology they use to fix the Borg cube? <laughs> like we've seen in Next Generation and even in the previous episode of this show that there is a technology in place to repair and regenerate the Borg cube from just about anything. So why not get that online and let that fix everything else instead of just getting things online piecemeal like they're doing now? Maybe it's too much of an energy drain, but I don't know. I don't get it. I just don't get it. You have no right to put us through this just to satisfy your curiosity. And they didn't miss a beat where all the uh, Borg were thrown out into space, by the way, too. So I guess one step at a time. I guess. <laughs> But so uh, back to Picard and Elnor. About time. Elnor seems to know that he is dying and he doesn't want to say goodbye. Picard looks at Jurati. He's like, did you tell him? She's like, I didn't tell him. I don't know. He's just a perceptive kid. I don't know what to say. This is all unspoken, nonverbal. I'm just, I'm, uh, as James did, I'm reading the subtext of this, <laughs> this particular uh, interaction. What? You had to be there. Anyway, Elnor knows that he's dying. Picard is getting ready to part ways again. And Elnor kind of picks up on the fact that this could be the last time and he doesn't want to say goodbye. And Picard's like, you know what? Anytime two people say goodbye, it could be the last time. So don't think about it too much. Don't worry about it. That, that's life, huh? C'est la vie. He's, he's French, so, you know, c'est la vie, ah, even though he doesn't have a French accent. He's he's the most English-French person around, but that's, well, you know. 
it didn't really work out when he was doing a French accent in a couple of episodes ago. No, I know. I know. Sorry. <laughs> that was the worst French accent in the galaxy. Yes. The one that made mine sound good. I find that hard to believe. <laughs> that was fun. I think I'm aware of your opinion. And as he goes, Picard kind of passes the torch slash responsibility for the galaxy to Seven of Nine and basically says, you know what? This is your problem now. I'm just going to take care of this one thing. You worry about everybody else. And I would love to see Seven actually do that. <laughs> just, like I said, I hope we see more of her. It feels like there is a lot of setup in this series for stuff that I hope gets paid off down the line. Like the Riker stuff, the Seven stuff. I don't know when they're going to have the opportunity to pay this stuff off. Maybe season two, maybe different spinoff series. And maybe they don't know either. But I just, I wish there was a blueprint for this stuff getting paid off rather than just throwing it out there and seeing what sticks. Because at this point, that's kind of what it feels like they're doing. I would certainly hope not. But um, so they leave the cube. They, they go off to Capelius station and immediately we see that this is a busy town with probably, you know, a hundred or more people just going about their business and, and, and it's bustling with activity and uh, twins all over the place. Twin, like, it's almost all twins that uh, that people are, are kind of paired off in. And uh, Rios, as he walks by, he plays soccer with a tumbleweed or something. <laughs> Again, he he's Spanish. Didn't you know? <laughs> Rios? No, I didn't pick up on that. I know, it's very subtle. They're very subtle. That's enough. You made your point. But uh, um, <laughs> uh, but these people seem to know Soji. They recognize her. It's like, oh, Soji, it's so great to have you finally come home. And she's like, yeah, person. Hey, I, wait, no, I know your name. I know who you are. Ah, cool. They also recognize Picard as having been Data's captain. And he gets kind of automatic primacy of place because of that he's got instant cred uh, having been data's captain yes of course which is nice although again this this whole series there has been i can cover this more in depth once the series is finally over but just the short version is it seems like this whole series they've been fighting with themselves over whether or not Picard's hype is legit. Like whether he actually is the man, the myth, the legend that we see him as, or whether or not he's just kind of this guy that is a legend in his own mind. Uh, I don't know. And it seemed like there was a lot of that even here in this episode. Oh, really? But um, so, so they, they let him know what the situation is. They're like, I hope you have 218 more of those orchid things because you're going to need them. And they said, well, we do. Yes. If by 218, you mean 10, we definitely have those, but we can make more in two days. Not enough. Mm -hmm. uh, so unfortunately they they are gonna need to find a plan b in order to protect themselves and uh, we we also in this conversation are introduced to a brand new character james now i know we've been introduced to brand new characters here there and everywhere but 
those characters are not typically played by one Brent Spiner. Yay. <laughs> but this one is... That's fun. Yes, carrying on a proud tradition that spans about 30 years, 30 plus years, Brent Spiner is playing another member of the Sung family. This one is Dr. Alton Inigo Sung, son of Noonien Sung and self-professed mad scientist. It seems that he is the one who has created these synths in conjunction with Bruce Maddox. So he's carrying on a proud family legacy. Uh, forgive me, but I did not know that Dr. Sung had a real human son. <laughs> None knew- of us did, James. Oh, okay, <laughs> I thought I missed something there because I, I knew of Data and I knew of Lore and B4, but not Dr. Alton. Well... He did have a wife, Noonien Sung, as we came to discover in the final season of The Next Generation. Data had a mother. And uh, actually, that's something that I never brought up on this podcast that I thought about. But I guess I just didn't because there were other things to talk about. But way back in prior episodes... And even as recently as the episode where we saw the Rikers and Deanna was lamenting the lack of an active positronic matrix, where they talked about how all the synths had had been, you know, shut down or destroyed. I remembered that Data's mother or the woman who called herself Data's mother was actually a positronic android, not that she knew that herself. I think Picard and select members of the Enterprise crew kept that secret for themselves. But, you know, I have to wonder, is she not still around? Or, you know, even if she kind of shut down as as it indicated that she would at the end of a natural lifespan, what would be a natural lifespan, even if she shut down, would her positronic net not technically still be intact and, and potentially revivable? Like... They just, they completely forgot about that character, it seems, conveniently. Agreed. All true. And another theory that I'm confused about is if the original Dr. Sung is busy making androids and and making a wife, he wouldn't develop his own android and put his thoughts or matrix or something into it and continue living that way too? He would just up and die and forever be gone? James, wow. are you insinuating <laughs> that Dr. Noonien Sung has the kind of ego where he would want himself to live on in that way? Uh, I refuse to believe that the scientist who created every single android in his own likeness has that kind of ego. Oh, yes, you do. <laughs> Sorry. And in fact, uh, you may be thinking of Dr. Ira Graves in the episode of The Schizoid Man, who who worked with Sung to uh, allegedly to produce uh, these these uh, positronic androids who tried to commandeer Data's body and transfer his own consciousness into it. I don't recall that, but uh, that's OK. That's thank you. You're, you're the brains behind this. Podcast. That's the kind of deep canon that's both unnecessary and uh completely at home here on this show well that's the kind of stuff that star trek fans appreciate so mm-hmm. that's why you're the host i'll take your word for it yeah uh, that's why okay um <laughs> anyway so we we as i said we discover that dr sung he created these synths along with 
Bruce Maddox, and uh, we we meet one of the synths that he created, and one that I assume we are led to believe is an older model because she has the kind of gold sparkly face that Data had, and that is Sutra, and that is the twin of Janna, who was the synth that Rios was so haunted about the death of. Oh, real quick, too. Yes, sir. I think that's really cool how uh, Dr. Uh, Alton Sung forgave Dr. Maddox for <laughs> trying to ruin his father's creation and uh, and work hand in hand on androids and synths. So that, oh, yeah, that, that was yes. just something interesting, yes, too. Back, yeah. you're, you're referring way back to the measure of a man yes. when he wanted... Well, yes and no, because... If you recall, I will grant you that he didn't see Data as a sentient being, but his ultimate aim in that episode was to create more of him. Okay. So, you know, for for the good of the Federation in that instance. So even if he came to have a new understanding of what Data actually was, I think this is still kind of in keeping with Maddox's ultimate aims. Thank you, sir. Sure. But uh, so, so Sutra... As I said, she's Jenna's twin, and she's she's going to be kind of our. I would say she's one one of the reasons why I think she's probably one of the oldest is that she's kind of treated almost as a de facto leader among the synths, and one of the things that she does is she, well, the show through her. Another instance of going out of their way to try and excuse Dr. Gerardi for what she's done. She's like, she, being Sutra, is is like, uh, you know, it, it could be that you were legitimately out of your mind because of this admonition. And you had been poisoned and you, you, you weren't responsible for your actions is essentially what they're trying to feed us. Again, I think it's part of what they're trying to do to redeem Dr. Gerardi's character not working for me, still not working, especially in light of what we learn about Sutra later. But I, I, I don't know, man. I think, I think she's in this for the long haul. I think they want to make her a redeemed character by the end of the season, in their own eyes, anyway. Possibly. But uh, Sutra, Sutra has a theory about the admonition. She thinks, she thinks that perhaps the admonition was not a message that was meant for organic creatures. Maybe it was a warning, but for the synths. And maybe that's why all of the organic creatures who experience it seem to go somewhat insane. Ridiculous. And she says, you know what? Actually, as it happens, I am a student of Vulcan culture. And I know all about Vulcan stuff, including that one thing that Vulcans are really well known for. No, I'm not talking about the pinch. No, I'm not talking about the hand thing. Yep, I'm talking about the mind meld. And guess what I can do? How convenient. So she proposes mind melding with Gerardi so she herself can experience the admonition. And guess what they do? Think about it. Rios has an objection, nobody cares, and she does it anyway. And so she mind melds, and we see the admonition, James, in all of its glory. Whereas before we had experienced it as viewers, as just very brief flashes of foreboding terror, 
we see kind of a coherent narrative played out as to what it actually is. And what it seems to be is it is a warning, but it is, as she proposed, a warning to synthetic creatures, basically saying, listen, as synthetic creatures, organics are ultimately going to start to fear you and try and wipe you out. Well, we say the best defense is a good offense. So if you ever need somebody to come and wipe out all organic life on your behalf, here's our card. Call us. And so uh, they offer via the admonition, this mysterious force that we still don't know the identity of offers to protect the synths by exterminating all organic life and allowing synthetic life to flourish. Thank you. That answered my question because I was wondering if they were just being as ignorant as the Romulans were, whereas they wanted to annihilate all stupid humans and just save androids and machines or do all that, but save smart humans too. But it seemed like they just wanted to eliminate all real human beings and uh, organic life as they refer to it. So I, okay, I could kind of understand that, that uh, being a synth, you probably wouldn't have any morals. So you could mm-hmm. get away with stupid thinking like that. But I was just kind of hoping that even if they were going to be a reflection of what the Romulans were, that they would have the sense to save moral good people too. But it just seems like they're just as ignorant as the Romulans are and just want to annihilate the other side, so to speak. Pretty much. And it also seems to be something of a self-fulfilling prophecy because, mm-hmm. you know, if the Romulans hadn't formed this secret cabal of people designed to specifically wipe out synthetic life, then there would be no need for this greater synthetic power to come and protect and, you know, in turn, wipe out all organics. But one thing, James, this this kind of, I think, for me, lends credence to one of the theories that I proposed last week, uh, specifically the one about control, the AI, the rogue AI from the Discovery series. Mm. That is that uh, during the admonition, we see this ultimate power professing itself as being beyond the boundaries of time and space. So I'm wondering if this is, in fact, a future version of control. And I will touch on that a little bit later at the end of the episode when we see the previews for the final episode, why I think there may be supporting evidence there. But so I guess it's still on the table as a possibility that this is, in fact, going to wind up being that and tie the series together. So we go to commercial, or at least I do, because I don't pay for the fancy pants, no commercial plan. Economics of the future is somewhat different. I'm, I'm, I'm on the cheapo ad intensive plan. So we go to commercial, and on the other side of that, we, we discover that the butterflies that we have seen flying around on this planet were actually artificial constructs made by Dr. Sung, Dr. Alton Inigo Sung, because, you know, he missed butterflies, and I guess he figured, well, if I can't have a butterfly, I'll make one! <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> that is a reference you'll get if you listen to our hockey podcast, Hit the Deck. What is the purpose of this? But it's not worth explaining here. <laughs> so, um... So, uh, Sung and Dr. Girardi have, have a, a nice little sit-down conversation, although they're standing, so I guess it's not a sit-down conversation. But anyway, 
Maddox, we, we come to find out, spoke often of Gerardi about how much he loved her and how much he missed her. And, you know, really, really pour the guilt on there. Quite right. So you should. Which, good. And and Sung says to her, shame on you, Agnes, you know, for murdering Maddox, lest we forget. And he says, you know, you, you've, you've done a horrible thing, and I want to give you an opportunity to repay that debt. Are you in? And she's like, I am in. So the opportunity that he's giving her, even though it's only hinted at here, it seems to be that he wants her to help him transfer his consciousness into a synthetic body. Because what he kind of uh, intimates, and I think what we're led to believe at this point in the episode, and what I believe, at least watching it at this point in the episode, is that he is getting old and frail, and he he sees his body starting to fail him, and so he wants that shot at eternal life by transferring his own consciousness into the android. Kind of similar to what you were alluding to a little earlier in the episode, James, with, uh, with Noonie and Sung. And so she's down. Agnes is like, yeah, you're right. I should continue Maddox's work. This is on me. I will help you do this. Elsewhere on the complex, we find out via conversation between Sutra and Soji that Sutra has a plan. It's a secret plan in that we don't know what it is because they're just kind of talking about it in the abstract and not discussing specifics. But Soji is not convinced that Sutra's plan, whatever it may be, is the right thing to do. But Sutra is, is, is trying to convince her, no, this is really the only way. We also discover through the course of this conversation that once again, they strain the bounds of credulity. They don't even strain. I think they break them outright at this point because we find out that the SS Van Halen is large enough to accommodate everyone on the planet and evacuate them. Now, you have to remember at this point, that is not only the the crew, which they already have, which seems to be... You know, just the like six people or whatever that they have on the crew now seems to kind of be pushing the bounds of what that ship can handle. But they can accommodate the hundred or so synthetics that live on the planet and presumably all of the ex-Borg and Seven and, and Elnor that are on the Borg cube. They can, This ship can... It, it's got infinite capacity inside of it, apparently. She's a fine ship. They're not even trying at this point, James. They're really not even trying anymore. It's ridiculous. I thought of you immediately when they suggested that because, wait, whoa, Gary's right. Maybe the uh, USS Van Halen NCC 5150 is like the TARDIS. So I, I actually started laughing at that suggestion, thanks to you. It's just silly. Both of it. This is getting us nowhere. Anyway, they captured Narek. The last thing we learn in this conversation uh, is that they captured Narek, the synthetics. They drag him into town. He's like, no, it's all a big misunderstanding. I'm really sorry. You have it all wrong. Let me go, please. I'll go with you. You don't have to stop. You don't have to be so rough. I'm going with you. Stop, please. And uh, so, you know, he's under control for the time being. This might prove to be an advantage to us. Not control as in control capital C with the rogue AI. He's just 
You get it. Indeed. Well, when you say control, I think of the show Get Smart between control and chaos anyway. Sure, okay. I do have the entire uh, box set series of Get Smart that I was able to acquire through work. So I haven't watched that yet, but I should one of these times because it's a great show. Yes. Irrelevant. Although it's a show that has nothing to do with this beyond the fact that there was also <laughs> magical, seemingly impossible technology used in that show. It would seem so. So, you know, that's nice. Um, spot, James. What is that object? We, we find Spot 2 just walking around, which is a cat that looks... Very much like Spot looked on the original Next Generation series, but the cat has yellow eyes. So, um, you know, we find out that Spot 2 was a manufactured android. They couldn't come up with a better name. <laughs> I mean, I guess <sighs> Data himself had this weird, like, conflict between wanting to be artistic, but being practical to a fault. So... I can see Spot 2 being something that he would call a cat that was a sequel to Spot. So, you know, it, it, it kind of seems to honor Data in a way by doing that. Okay, I'll, I'll give you that. But at least call it Spot A, as in the Enterprise A and B and C and D and E. <laughs> Spot 2, come on. No, James. No bloody A, <laughs> B, C, or D. This is Spot 2. Deal with it. That's sound advice at any time. There's another good one. Spotty for Scotty. That's a good one. You already have the Scottish engineer hologram, James. I Don't want more. Greedy. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, Agnes decides she's going to stay a while and work on this Sung mind transfer problem. I'm sure she'll be able to crack it in a day. I mean, that's probably something he's been working on for years. I'm sure she'll be able to crack it in a day. No problem. <laughs> you have to understand Maddox was the mind guy. Dr. Soong is a body man. Nobody's perfect. Anyway, Agnes is going to stay and we find out that Rios, in spite of everything, is still sweet on her. You know, what's a little murder between friends? This is this is a blossoming romance, James. This is not our affair. Yeah, I could do without that part, but okay. Yeah. Um, elsewhere on the planet or in the settlement, I guess it's, it's probably not that far away. Raffi is having a conversation with one of the synths and she is gifted a magic MacGuffin to help fix the ship. What is it? How is it going to work? Use your imagination. That's what Raffi is told. And she's like, oh, okay, thank you. So I'm sure that's something that's going to come into play in the last episode. No doubt. But for now, it's it's just left out there as a, okay, sure. <laughs> Raffi then has a conversation with Picard, and she professes that she, you know, she's so grateful for everything that he's done for her, and she loves him. And she says, you know, you 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 don't have to say it back. Like, I, I know this is an awkward situation. You don't have to. I mean, you can if you want to, but you don't have to. And Picard plays it. He, he I don't know why he plays it this way. I mean, I know why, because they thought it would be funny. But he plays it off like, oh, OK, weirdo. And then he almost immediately turns back and he said, I love you, too, Rafi. And then walks away. And. It's sweet, but again, I don't know why they're playing these things for comedy. 
I don't, why can't you just play it straight? We want the sincerity, you know, that's the sincere earnestness is what made us fall in love with characters like Jean-Luc Picard in the first place. I, I don't understand why you're injecting levity into these scenes at the expense of the character. Exactly. And, and plus it, it was such a huge scene for Rafi to forgive so much because when you first meet the character, well, when she's on her home planet, uh, Picard. Earth. Earth is, is the planet you're speaking well, yeah. of. James. Yeah. Um, I keep getting. It's, com- a, it's, a, it's a blue ball. It's yeah, got. Um, I'm familiar. It's seven continents. It's a uh, third, third planet from the soul system. As Bugs Bunny said, all of his friends are from Earth and, and so are mine. But uh, yeah, I just got confused with the uh, the episode with the Metrons in Arena when Captain Kirk fought the Gorn. Uh, <laughs> that was supposed to be a fun play. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that uh, basically Admiral Picard just let Raffi fly in the breeze and her whole career was torn asunder and she was kicked out of Starfleet. So for her to re kindle that uh, love and affection and forgive Admiral Picard for all of that, I thought was huge and, and was really wonderfully played and, and, and was a beautiful scene. I agree. I didn't see the need for them to quote unquote cheapen it and go for a, a little laugh there because of the awkwardness of Picard, as he said himself, that he and Data have that in common, that they um, aren't emotional. So it just kind of torpedoed that a little bit. And I just thought that uh, the, the, the quality of acting in that scene, and yes, it was a little bit too distracting, but it's probably because they're still trying to bridge the gap between not only us Star Trek fans, but people that aren't necessarily Star Trek fans or sci-fi fans are trying to watch the show and get into it that way as well. Uh, just assuming that, but I, I agree with you there too. That was kind of a cheap shot. I also wonder if it's not Patrick Stewart a little bit. He's talked about how he played a pretty big hand in the creative direction of this series and especially crafting the character. I wonder if it's not a little bit of him saying, I don't want to just play Picard as this stoic, aloof person anymore. I want to give him some personality that, you know, maybe be a little more reflective of who he, the man is. That is not who I am. Because he does seem to have a pretty fun sense of humor, Patrick Stewart. So you know, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of that too. I don't know. I just, I don't think it's necessary personally. You must trust us. Oh, speaking of planets, James, just to revisit the planet thing. I'm not going to, I'm not going to bag on you anymore. I am going to bag <laughs> a little bit on the, the description or, or what we've seen of this planet, Capaleus, because in the, the dream that Soji had that, you know, directed everybody to this planet in the first place. It's depicted as this planet with, you know, these, these red moons overhead and continuous lightning storms and, and this turbulent crazy. And we get there and it's like blue skies and sunshine all the time. Like what, what were you looking at in your dream? It's, I mean, from, from space, we do see a couple of isolated pockets of electrical activity on the planet somewhere but you know if soji was born in that building uh, or at least in that settlement we should be seeing the lightning and electrical storms from that settlement which we're not so like i just i call shenanigans i don't it's it's just poor art direction 
to me. Yeah, sometimes in, in shots too, you could see like a little thing of lightning going off in the sky. But yes, it was blue skies and uh, milk and honey. Nothing like the nightmare that uh, Soji had. Blue skies smiling at me. Nothing but blue skies do I see. What is the purpose of this? Which is a nice callback. Yes. But not intended, I'm sure. Anyway, all right, we, we let's wrap this thing up because we're getting there. We're, 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 we're getting close. So we see Picard then in Maddox's old office is what we would come to find out. And he's sending a message to Starfleet. He wants to establish diplomatic relations with this planet. He wants to protect them from the Romulans. Please come in. Somebody Starfleet come in. And we, we cut to a scene of Narek who has been imprisoned in, uh, in, I guess, a room of some sort behind a force field, although they've never captured anybody before. So it does seem to be rather convenient that they have this holding cell just waiting for him. Indeed. And he's he is, as is his way, trying to talk his way out of captivity. He's trying to convince this uh, synth who we will come to learn is named Saga. And he's trying this long multi-part explanation about how he he needs to get out he's playing the long game with saga and and he's he's trying to to talk his way out and she almost falls for it and then soji comes in she's like no 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 don't listen to him he's a lying scumbag like he would sell his mother out don't listen to him he he deserves no mercy and then they have a pretty intense confrontation where he's like no you i i'm so i'm so i was so worried for you soji uh you had a bad reaction to the meditation that's why you you think you think something happened that didn't really happen it's uh, and and i you know i care about you and you have it all wrong and she's like shut up (laughs) you and and she shuts him down real quick And so then we shortly thereafter, Soji is troubled and she goes to talk to Picard and she has reservations. She she has been mulling over in her brain. She's been trying to understand why Dr. Gerardi did what she did and how she tried to justify it. And just as a reminder, what we're talking about is cold blooded murder of an innocent man. And, And she's trying to understand you know, she she couldn't before. She couldn't understand why she would do something like that. Why why she would see the taking of a life to prevent the loss of other life as being a valid option. But uh, now she's trying to understand the logic of sacrifice. And Picard is like, "Hang on a second. I don't think I like the sound of what you're talking about here. Maybe maybe you want to elaborate on that." And she's like, "No, I'm good." And uh, so. Then again, this is more of that intercut nonsense. I'm not even going to Sutra. Sutra is talking to Narak. She comes over. Sutra, as a reminder, is the gold faced Soji looking one. And she goes and she offers Narak a deal. We don't know what the deal is. It kind of looks like she wants his. Um, well, <laughs> not to put too fine a point on it. It kind of looks like she wants his body. I would. And uh, that, that's, that's the vibe that they're trying to sell us. But I don't think that's it. I'm not seeking Jamaharong. And in the, the next scene, we find out that the saga ends. <laughs> Tragically. Which is funny because 
I just saw a Star Wars commercial what is that? for the, the final movie in that series coming out on digital, and it used the very same verbiage, the saga ends, which I actually thought at first glance it said the salsa ends, which was a, would be a completely different thing. So I don't know. That would be weird. This is foolish. But um, no, the... The saga ends. Dun dun dun. She is she is dead. She is stabbed in the eye, and I guess that's enough to you know you can take their heads and they can be perfectly fine. But you stab a hummingbird into the eye. Yep. That's that's the Achilles pupil apparently. <laughs> and uh, and we see Sung lamenting. Oh oh, her beautiful golden eye. Who? How could this be allowed to happen? Oh no, the humanity or the syn- the synthet <laughs> the synth uh, It's not a. And you, you get what I'm saying. This must stop. It has gone too far. It's a tragedy, is what basically. And we see Narek kind of escaping yes. into the brush, uh, it, kind of, almost Looney Tunes style. <laughs> Yes. Like you almost did imagine hearing the Benny Hill music playing <laughs> as he's running away. <sighs> anyway. So we are we are made to believe that Narek murdered her and was was able to somehow escape. <laughs> Try to get it together, James. This is totally, this is totally not where we're supposed to be in this episode right sorry. now. I'm sorry. <laughs> Pull yourself the, together, man. The perfect description. Oh, it's certainly no joke. Okay, I'm good. The next scene is of Sutra again, the Soji-looking one. She is trying to convince her fellow synths that there is really only one course of action in light of what these organics have done and will do to them if allowed to run roughshod. And that is to call the protectors, the the people, the mysterious people in the admonition and say, uh, hey, uh, I got your number from, from the admonition and uh, we are interested in your protection plan your your organic genocide protection plan we we have a a real interest in hearing more about what you can do for us now, what do you think that tells me about your character and uh so this is why we we come to i think find out this is why sung was actually interested in transferring his consciousness to the synthetic golem is what Gerardi calls it, but the the synthetic being that really has no, uh, I guess, mind or personality as yet. Just this this you know creature that that's been built but has yet to be activated. Um, because he's like, yeah, I guess the only course of action really is to wipe out all organic life in the galaxy. And if I'm organic, that includes me. So I'd better get myself synthetic toot de sweet. Let's not rush it, shall we? And Soji, uh, Picard's like, wait, 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 wait. You wanna, you wanna wipe out everybody? Like everybody? That's not cool. That is an understatement. And 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 he kind of pointedly 
says to Soji, if you do this, you will be the destroyer that they prophesied about, that you will fulfill their prophecy of becoming the destroyer. And he's like, no, 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 hang on, hang on. I've got a better plan. I've got, you, you, you don't know this about me, but I've actually got a very potent weapon in my arsenal called the Picard speech. Let me give you an example. And he tells them about how when all this is over, he will go to the Federation and he will advocate on their behalf. He will get them to lift the ban and they will all be integrated once again into society and be treated as equals. And it's 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 uplifting and inspiring. Oh, yes, it is. And Sung is like, no, you won't. Don't listen to this guy. Listen. I know the Picard speech is a thing. You guys, if if I don't burst your bubble right now, you are going to follow a bad path with this guy. Let me tell you, this guy on Earth, he already tried to do what he's telling you right now. It didn't work. Nobody wants to hear from this guy. They tried to wipe out since once with the ban proactively. They don't care about you. If you give them a chance, they'll just wipe you out like, 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 you expect that they will. So really, Sutra's right. We got to call the organic exterminators and uh, wipe out this organic infestation before they get you. You see, I'm just not convinced. And so he's like, actually, I think letting Picard run free and, you know, giving him the ability to talk to you guys is a little bit too dangerous. So we're going to have to put him under arrest, actually. No, thank you. But but actually, Dr. Murder, you're fine. You can you can stay. You can you can be allowed to be free. And, uh, you know, while you're here, you might as well complete that Android mind transfer that we were talking about. Seems like it might actually be convenient under the circumstances. So why don't we go ahead and get that done? It's imperative. And, and she's like, yeah, cool. I am down with that. I am willing to sacrifice myself for all of you. I'm willing to go along with that plan. I love that plan. Let's murder everybody. Reconsider your decision. She's already murdered once. You know, James, it's 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 like potato chips. Bet you can't kill just one. <laughs> and I don't like the fact that she's going on the other team, too. I don't like this loyalty at all. Once you pop a cap in somebody, you can't stop. <laughs> and then the the final scene of the episode. Here come the Romulans. They are 24 hours out and they are on their way. And then finally we get our next time on Star Trek Picard. Next time, next week, the final episode of Star Trek Picard for this first season. It all comes to a head, James. We see fighting on land and in space, fighting all over. We got Elnor. We get Narek, who's hanging out with the good guys. And uh, we get Picard imploring Soji, please show them that you are not the destroyer they think you are. We get a beacon that's opening up a portal and we get some spooky tentacle things that are reaching towards Capelius through said portal. And this is what I was alluding to with the control thing. So I, it's not a direct analog, but in one of the Discovery episodes last season, where, as I, I had mentioned on a previous podcast, there were time travel shenanigans in that series. And we kind of saw like a future so the really short version 
is there was a time rift opened into the future and they sent a probe into it to kind of figure out what's going on and their probe got returned to them but it seemed to be taken over by this uh this rogue ai and was used against them as a weapon and it had like one of the things that it it deployed was like these tentacles not the same kind of tentacles but it was similar enough that it it put me in mind of that so i'm thinking that the uh, again i'm going out on a limb here i've been wrong before you have so i'm perfectly prepared to be wrong again but i'm thinking that this synth protector that exists almost outside of time and space beyond time and space is control in the future, which is looking for kind of a hook to come back and expand itself in the past and establish itself as the dominant synthetic life back in the past and, and further it's basically galactic domination scheme that it's set up in discovery you said yourself that this is only a possibility so that will be next week and we will see how they plan on wrapping up this this first season which has been quite the journey indeed on part two but uh, that will be for next week for now james i want to ask you what did you think of this episode? Analysis. I thought it was a great setup episode. I'm curious how long the finale is going to be. If it's going to be just a regular 45 minute to an hour or maybe a two hour huge finale. Because I don't know how they're going to tie up all of these great loose ends. But looking forward to that. I think this was, again, was, was a really good episode. I uh, thought it was pretty well written. Um, it flowed very well. Uh, a lot of anticipation. A lot of questions answered. I really love the fact that uh, Brent Spiner was in it. That was a nice surprise. Thought that was a cute thing with his initials being AI also. So Dr. Alton Inigo Sung. I did not pick up on that. That's a great catch. Oh, well, I, I was just looking at it. And again, thanks to your advice of uh, putting the closed captioning subtitles on while watching. Uh, that's kind of how I knew how it was written. So that that, that was the so a little bit of a cheat there. But uh, either way, cute thing. And uh, yeah, so uh, the anticipation's there, the, the setup is there, I'm curious what the Borg uh, artifact is going to factor in with all this too. All will be assimilated. And uh, looking forward to it. It's too bad Laura wasn't there, because he could have said, I am Alto Inigo Sung, you killed my father, prepare to die. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I don't understand. But I guess that wouldn't be in keeping with his, his whole, you know, synthetic worship deal yeah <laughs> but uh so james let's talk about the elephant in the room on this episode because the one almost blindingly obvious thing that they didn't outright say but they left enough breadcrumbs to make a plate of chicken cutlets so we're we're on the same page with this sutra and and sung conspired with soji to kill saga right yeah has it been that apparent they're actually the ones who did the deed and they framed narek for it yeah i thought that it was more that um they made it look like that uh, narek broke free and um that that's what i was a little bit confused about too but yeah either way they're they're making it look like that uh, they weren't the ones responsible for killing saga i mean even if they didn't do the actual physical murder they orchestrated it yeah right this is their plan like this is this is straight out of the like conspiracy playbook where we have to make it look like narek 
you know, was guilty in order to set up the, you know, that's the cell for for wanting to contact this higher power or whatever to come and wipe out all organic life. And honestly, just from a practical standpoint, this seems to be a bit of a gamble on Sung's part. You know, assuming that Gerardi is going to be able to make him an android in time because they only have a day. And I mean, if she's not able to do that, he's going to be wiped out along with everybody else. So no longer afford to be patient. Well, how long did it take Dr. Frankenstein? I think maybe it's just a few hours. They should be good to go. <laughs> yeah, it's true. He's <laughs> I mean, what, what, what am I saying that, you know, this show is all about magic solutions to things so i'm sure it'll be fine yeah you can't expect me to believe that abby something yeah not a gamble at all no but um yeah so the way these things typically go either soji is playing them i don't think that's the case i think she's actually on team bad for now and gerardi Probably is too, although she's a wild card. Any one of us may be the enemy. Like I said, they're building that redemption arc for her, so maybe she's planning something. I don't know. We'll see. We'll find out in a week. But as these things usually go, I'm banking on Soji having a, you know, 11th hour change of heart and being the difference in the fight between the synths and the organics at the end of the day. But. We'll see what happens. I guess that'll be next week. It's all led up to this. For better or for worse, we've all built to this. So this is this is what we, we will find out next week. They're saying I should just sit down, shut up, and wait. And James and I will be right there with you next week to cover it, to, to bring you the finale, the season one finale of Star Trek Picard. So stay tuned for that. I know that I can rely on both of you. But in the meantime... We, before we leave you off, we want to remind you that we want to hear from you. If you've picked up on something that we missed, once again, if you have an alternative theory about what this ultimate power can be, if we missed something that in retrospect is blindingly obvious, like last week, you you do like Rochester Resident and you, you reach out to us, you let us know what you're thinking about this show, please. Anyone receiving this transmission, please respond. You can email us at vintagepicard at gmail.com, tweet at us, Facebook, Instagram on Vintage Picard. We're there, we wanna hear from you. And we want you to subscribe to Vintage Picard so you get that episode and you can find out what we're doing beyond this this final episode because we will be doing something. I don't, I'm not prepared to announce what that is just yet, but we will have more information for you next week about the future of this podcast. So if you want to know what that's going to be about, subscribe, please, and tell your friends. Please, if, if you have people who have been waiting to watch Picard, you know, because they don't want to pay for the entire three months or whatever or more of service, they want to binge it all at once, and they want a companion piece to go along with that watch, let them know about Vintage Picard. You know, I hope you found it useful and entertaining, and uh, we, like I said, we want to grow this thing. So we would urge you to please spread the word, help us spread the word about this podcast so we can grow it some more. It's your decision. And um, so, as I said, we will be back here with you next week for, for the final episode, but that is next week. And we will see you then in the interim. As always, I will urge you, please, my friends, choose to live. Bye. Boom, boom, boom.
I gotta tell you, I like that Skype sound. I don't know what it is, but that jangly Skype sound really does it for me. I'm not really one for remixes, but I have to wonder if somewhere in the wastes, the vast wastelands of YouTube, they have some kind of, you know, Skype remix, like a kind of, you know, the, the Skype house mix. I wouldn't be the least bit surprised. <laughs>